This is Changeling the Podcast. Changeling the podcast. Come for the glamour, stay for the vibes. I'm your host, Josh, and with us is other host, Puka. Say hi, Puka. A thousand welcomes. What are we talking about today, Puka? Today, we'll be talking about sort of a, a side game to Changeling the Dreaming, which is the collectible card game Arcadia the Wild Hunt, a vestige of the CCG boom of the mid-90s. And we are joined by guest host Charlie Cantrell, who is much more of an expert at this game than I suspect either of us will ever be. So mm-hmm. welcome, Charlie. Thank you for having me. Yeah, glad to have you here. So Charlie, um, we had you on the show before. And um, <laughs> yep. Welcome back. Well, yes, Thank welcome you. back. So what is Arcadia the Wild Hunt? Arcadia the Wild Hunt is a collectible card game from the mid-90s, as was previously mentioned. In it, you can construct a character using all the character cards, and then you can take that character and go on an adventure or a quest using all of the story cards. So you actually make sort of two decks. One deck is your character deck, and uh, you use a character card And then you have some points that you can spend and use those points to gather stuff for your character, like merits and flaws, various advantages, equipment, things like that. And then you create your quest deck. So you choose a quest card, and that's what you're going to be trying to accomplish. And then you get your league cards, which are the locations that your character can travel to on their quest. And you can seed it with waylays, and you strategically place the waylays on the map that you build using these league cards. And you're actually competing against another player to see who can accomplish their quest first. So you you want to put these waylays strategically on there to try and help you out while uh, impeding your opponent from completing their quest. Um, at the end of each quest, you can gain a little bit of experience for your character. And then you can improve your character with other character cards and keep questing. And that's the whole game in a nutshell. It's an interesting mix of games that, like, a a lot of it feels familiar when I look at the rules and I look at how it's set up and everything. Almost Mm -hmm. like a combination of the Lord of the Rings card game, the Star Trek The Next Generation card game, and the board games Carcassonne and Talisman. Mm-hmm. And then those are four very disparate inspirations for me to connect to it. I have no idea if the makers of the game had those in mind, but it almost feels like this weird hybrid of like card game and board game that's you know both ongoing and one-off mm-hmm. all at the same time. Yeah. I, I remember a game from around the same era called Anna Mayhem, which... Very different from this, but it had the same board game, card game-ish in between. So I, th- I think there was a few of them going around in the 90s at this point. Yeah, and the uh, the whole creating a character thing, that was a thing that uh, some of them tried out as a way to sort of differentiate themselves from magic, um, mm-hmm. I think. Which, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure if it really worked or not. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you, you yeah, certainly yeah. don't see it in modern card games, so I would I would imagine that most folks think that it didn't quite work out like they wanted it to. Well, there there are some; they're just not collectible card games. That's like, true. Uh, That's true. Uh, what's it? Sentinels of the Multiverse does that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Considering how many collectible card games existed in 1996, and then how few existed by 1997, <laughs> it's yeah. fair to say that <laughs> That's it didn't quite catch on. <laughs> That's fair. so what about the overall plot that's kind of the backstory for the game because even though it's changeling adjacent it's not really a changeling the dreaming it's it's not it takes place entirely in arcadia so it's not really it's not really directly connected to changeling the dreaming because changeling the dreaming characters have no way of getting into arcadia and 
Arcadia characters, with the exception of the houses getting exiled, none of them ever come to Earth in Changeling the Dreaming. So, except for the Kiramit. Except for the Kiramit, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, they're they're really two entirely separate separate games. But the the backstory of Arcadia: The Wild Hunt, I just so happen to have right in front of me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how convenient! How convenient! So. It's, it's just a couple paragraphs, so it'll be quick to read. Dark clouds gathered around Skyholm on the day of the darkening and have remained since. High King Ardlanth and his subjects are frozen like marble statues. Ardlanth's kingdom has fallen silent, and none who have traveled there have been heard from again. Protected on all sides by three loyal vassal kingdoms, Skyholm is virtually unex- inaccessible. Yet the remaining kingdoms of Arcadia feud with one another. Only one seems powerful enough to restore peace. Middlemarch. Mad King Ironheart of Middlemarch has been expanding his evil realm of machines and gathering his power. At the cost of the blood and tears of thousands of slaves, King Ironheart aspires to build a tower palace, a tower of Babel that exceeds even Skyholm's keep. Soon, Middlemarch will be the new heart of Arcadia, and Ironheart, its new High King. Ironheart did have one rival, Lord Gamine of Ardenmore. However, one month ago, Lord Gamine journeyed to the Sibylline Swamps to consult the Oracle of Thone, and has not returned. Ardenmore has since been managed by an age-worn regent, a loyal knight of Lord Gamine's father, Erinus at best, the region's judgment has left Ardenmore vulnerable toward would-be conquerors. The disappearance of Gamine may well be the death knell for the Arcadia of beauty and peace, and the herald of a new era, one founded on King Ironheart's nightmarish visions of modern Earth. And that's where the game begins. (laughs) So the question has to be asked, and I don't know if White Wolf ever specifically stated this or not, none of this is canon, right? Or is it? When the game first came out, there was a big question. As the game got canceled pretty quickly, the developers were pretty adamant that uh, that Arcadia the Wild Hunt was not canon for Changeling the Dreaming. Mm-hmm. But Arcadia is so cut off from the rest of Changeling the Dreaming, it you know it doesn't really matter that much. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that's the thing. So I have a question: How, how canon is Changeling the Dreaming for Arcadia the Wild Hunt? Ooh, that's a good question. Arcadia the Wild Hunt has a lot of changeling elements in it. Pretty much all the core kits are in there, or at least the core first and second edition kits. Play as a knocker, play as an issue, redcaps, trolls, satyrs, she, puka. I got an ogre in my character pack. So. Uh huh. And that's what I was going to say. And there, and there are some other things that weren't in the, the uh, in Changeling the Dreaming that were also playable. You could play a dragonkin, you could play an imp, you could play uh, a myrrh, which eventually did get included in Changeling the Dreaming, but back then it was not. Uh, what were some others? You could play as an army ant platoon. That's probably one of my favorites just because it's so out there. Not to foreshadow later in this recording too much, but it almost seems as though these kits were just waiting to be incorporated into some kind of future supplement. Ah, amazing that, huh? <laughs> One of the ones that uh, that connects it to the greater world of darkness, you could actually play as a Fianna Garou. Uh, that was one mm-hmm. of the character cards. Oh. Uh, All right. But, but you can't bring in your you rage You cannot bring deck, in your rage right? deck, no. <laughs> but Fianna Garou do have this, uh, their, their special ability is Frenzy. So, you know, <laughs> there, there's a little bit of rage there. Yeah. <laughs> So what's it like playing this game? Like what's like you sort of run down the thing, but I haven't played it a whole lot. I've much more collected it. Uh, I didn't really start even trying to find the cards until many years after the game was dead. But I have played a few games of it. More often than not, it ends in uh, at least in my experience, it's ended in getting stuck in a an infinite loop where you encounter a waylay that you have to get past but your character doesn't have the ability to, so you're sent back to the previous league, and the only direction you can go is back to the league with the waylay on it that you can't get past, and, and so you're just stuck in an infinite loop. When that doesn't happen, it's, it's pretty fun. Um, <laughs> uh, 
there's not a whole lot of interaction between you and your opponent, though. It's a lot more just you versus the board that your opponent has seeded with their complications. There's not really any direct interaction between you and the other players. That makes me wonder if you could make a one-player, like a solitaire modification of yeah, the rules. Yeah, I, I almost think that would work better. Or maybe do a, a multi-party play where, you know, you and some friends mm-hmm. create your characters and then try and complete quests together versus, you know, maybe beefed up waylays and stuff like that. Yeah, some sort of randomly assigned waylays mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah, just shuffle all the waylays and then <laughs> draw one from the deck when you yeah. <laughs> when you are supposed to encounter one or something. That could be fun. So without getting too in-depth, because it will probably take too long, can you give a brief rundown of the rules? Like, how does a game actually unfold? Ooh, luckily I have the rule book in front of me. It's been a while since I've actually played, so... Um, <laughs> <laughs> so... As I mentioned before, the first thing you do is create a character. You pick one of the character cards. You have merits and flaws. You can choose your own court. You can choose your character's name. One thing that I was maybe not confused by, but sort of unimpressed by, was the fact that the character cards are specifically gendered as male or female. And Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, does that become relevant in the game at all? It does. Certain waylay cards will key off of that. So some things will affect male characters, yeah. other things will affect female characters, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's disappointing, but not surprising yeah. given the mm-hmm. I'm biting my tongues. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like, I mean, one of the other connections with the Star Trek card game was you had the same thing there. Yeah. So The male yeah. love interest and the female exactly, love interest. Exactly, yeah. The uh, the Fianna, though, is neither male nor female. It is Guru. So just <laughs> to throw that out there. <laughs> the three genders, male, female, and Guru. Uh, the army ants are, are not a gender either. They, they're a platoon in the where the gender field is. So I think that'll be my gender from now on. Platoon. <laughs> platoon. <laughs> platoon. <laughs> the cogs are also neither male nor female. They are just cogs. And uh, the triton are neither male nor female. All right. So there's, there's options. Mm-hmm. So you have merits and flaws. There's, I know there's treasure cards as well that you can pick up. Mm-hmm. There's treasures. Um, you usually, you don't usually start with treasures. They get seeded in with the waylays. So you can mm-hmm. uh, find them as you're exploring. But no, no bunk cards, right? <laughs> no bunk cards, but there are art cards so that you can equip your character with arts um, that they can, that they'll know. There'd be the, the weirdest hybrid one in change <laughs> Right? <laughs> but yeah, if I remember right, some of the abilities are actually uh, arts that you can cast. Or maybe they were advantages. I forget. There are so many different kinds of cards. So you got abilities, advantages, allies. Oh, arts are their own kind of card. So you can equip with them with arts. So that'll be the magic that they know. Um, and each of these cards cost a certain amount of points so that as you build your character... You can only have so many of these kinds of cards. And if I recall correctly, flaws will give you more points so that you can spend on arts and allies and abilities and that sort of thing. Yeah, I was, I was reading sort of through a web page sort of explaining the rules, and I'm like, this looks definitely based on, you know, the storyteller mm-hmm. system, changeling, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's a card game. It's interesting how they uh, managed to translate as much as they did to a card game. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's the kinds of cards that you would find in the character pack. Just mm-hmm. to make clear for listeners, because one of the things they say on the box is you need only one character pack and one story pack to play, which I question because it seems I was like you're say, that, is, that is a lie. That is a lie. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it is important. You do need at least one of each because to set up the board, the league cards and the quests and everything. Mm-hmm. So what, what do you think is the minimum? like two character packs? Uh, I don't know. The The distribution of cards was just so wild in this game. It was supposedly had no rarity, but the even though there was no rarity, there are certain cards that are just harder to find than others. There are mm-hmm. some theories I've seen floating around the internet about why that is, and most folks... I think the consensus is among most folks is just because of the way they package the cards... Even though there's no rarity, they include more of certain kinds of cards than others in each of the packs. Mm. So, so it ended up 
causing rarity where there wasn't supposed to be any. No, no intentional rarity, rarity yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it was also... There were also weird production snafus with it. Like, uh, when I was trying to, to build my collection, I would buy booster boxes, and you could either buy a box of story boosters or a box of character boosters. And in this box, there were literally the same three packs repeated <laughs> throughout the entire box. <laughs> like, like I'd open, I opened the first three, and it was, like, different. And then uh, I opened the next, the fourth one, and it was like, I've seen all these cards before. It was like literally the exact same cards in the exact same order as one mm. of the other packs. And so every every pack in that particular box was was one of those three packs. It was really weird. So not so much a collectible card game as just an erratically distributed card game. Uh, very erratically distributed, yes. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's collecting card, I guess. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's true. That's true. So once you have your character built with whatever array of merits and flaws and advantages and arts and allies and all of that. And you have, if I understand correctly, you take the league cards and you and your opponent take turns essentially building the map, which is the back of the league cards. It's like a a little visual depiction of the terrain. So there's fields and forests and roads, which all have to connect. Yep. Um, And they have to connect by the type. So you can put plains together, you can put forests together, you, you can put mountains together, uh, roads can connect to each other, oceans can connect to each other, but uh, you can't mismatch the kind of terrain. But you can build out of the different kinds by, you know, like dominoes. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. so you connect the same number on one side, but then the other side has a different number, so you can use a different kind. And it's the same way with these guys. They've got certain kinds of terrain on each on each border of the card and you get to to mix and match that way so then i mean aside from the fact that needing to do that with the terrain also necessitates probably getting more than one story pack (laughs) probably it also kind of seems like this isn't really the kind of game where you build your deck and shuffle and draw it's kind of like do you have access to all of the cards from the start and you just kind of pick well, the randomness comes into play with the seeding. So you can mm-hmm. you can create your way you you pick your waylays, and there's a certain number of points that you have to use to gather waylays. And I think each waylay is worth a certain amount of value, so that it'll you know depending on how strong it is or how weak it is, it'll be worth more or less. And then you you take turns seeding the board that you've created with waylays. So mm-hmm. between your leagues and your opponent's leagues, and your waylays and the opponent's waylays that's really where the randomness comes in so you can you put down your league and then your opponent puts down one of their leagues and then you just take turns creating the map and then after that you take turns seeding the board with waylays and treasures you can put treasures in that seed phase as well so ideally you would want to have a treasure that you would want paired with a waylay that you think will be more likely to stop your opponent Mm -hmm. or you know you want to put uh Say your quest has you going to a particular league. You could put a treasure on whatever your starting league is that you think would help you get to that other league a bit easier. But your opponent would be putting waylays on Like they might see you seed your own thing with something, so they'd put their own waylays on there to try and keep you from getting to to whatever it is you put there. Right, so. right. And this is all, the league is all face down and the seeded cards are all hidden, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, the seated cards are hidden underneath the league card, so you don't actually get okay. to see what's there until you go to that league and encounter whatever's there. Again, like Star Trek, the card game. Uh-huh. Which <laughs> very similar. One of the things from that game is that was always difficult was like trying to remember which cards you had put where and like which ones were yours and which were your opponents. <laughs> yeah. And trying to just keep track of that. Yeah, my... Uh... Back when I was still doing those games, uh, we would always try and use different colored backs so that it would be easier to yeah, use different yeah, color yeah. sleeves so that it would be easier to tell whose was what. So. Clever. The problem with this game, though, is that you can't use different colored backs because for most of these cards, or for, I shouldn't say most, but for a significant percentage of these cards, you are actually reading both sides of the card. Um, <laughs> both sides are important. <laughs> so. Mm. I guess like a sleeve with a border somehow? <laughs> Maybe. <Yeah. laughs> so once you have everything set up, can you just kind of 
don't know, maybe this is too much. This, this is too complicated to do without like a display, but how would like, how would a turn unfold? So if I remember correctly, oh, there is a die roll. Okay. Oh, that's right. There's a die involved. Uh-huh. Yeah, I forgot about that. Or, and then there was this, and I read there was a, there's a supplement. Did that uh, come out? There was a, there was one expansion for the game, King Ironheart's Madness. There was a yeah. third one planned, but uh, I don't know how far into the planning that got. And then King Ironheart's Madness required a second die. I don't remember. It's it's been a long time. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, so basic turn. So you start out in your base camp, and then uh, if I'm reading this correctly, whoever went won the die roll goes first. I believe you can move your character one league at a time. Mm. So once you get there, then you have to flip it over, see what that particular league entails. A lot of these leagues have conditions that must be met to enter them, and then certain conditions that must be met to leave, and then certain things that happen when you rest on that, uh, on that league. Mm-hmm. And I believe that once you enter the league, then you encounter a waylay that's on it. And so if you, you beat the waylay, you might mm-hmm. pick up a treasure or something. Yeah, if you beat the waylay, if you get through all the waylays there, pick up the treasure that happens to be there. So you can have multiple waylays. You certainly can have multiple waylays. You can seed as many waylays to a particular location as you want to, but uh, it might be better to spread them out a little bit to, uh, to try and trip your opponent up and mm-hmm. slow them down a bit more. Or you can just, you know... Pile them on all the waylays at once, and then have nothing else to uh, to challenge them the rest of the game, other than your character. Your character can go and fight the other character if you want to. Uh-huh. But there wasn't ever a lot of that in the few games that I played. It was a lot more efficient to try and just go and complete your own quest. Hmm. Okay. And by complete the quest, you mean because the quest generally involves a destination league, right? So you have to mm-hmm. get from your base camp to the other end of the board or whatever. Yeah, you usually have to get to a destination league or go around and collect a certain certain mm-hmm. treasures, deliver certain treasures to certain leagues. There's all sorts of win conditions, and it varies from quest to quest. Mm-hmm. So let's see. What's a good one? There we go. Even dragons pay taxes. This is, this is a fun one. This is from a Wild Hunt, so it's set entirely in Ardenmore, and apparently there's a dragon in Ardenmore who hasn't been paying his taxes, and the regent of Ardenmore has tasked your character with going to collect the taxes from the dragon. So, the quest, what it says to do is start the quest as normal. After treasures are placed, your opponent selects the league where uh, Splendor Scale the dragon lives. You must travel to this league and confront the dragon before gathering any quest treasures. You may elect to fight or smooth talk the dragon for his taxes. Uh, in, in parentheses, you may win either two combat tests or two or three savvy tests. Splendor Scale has a combat rating of nine and a savvy of six. And these are attributes from the character card, correct? Uh-huh. Okay. And uh, then return to base camp to, to complete the quest. Or, there's an alternate condition with this one. Splendor Scale agrees that if you bring him two treasures, he will pick one to keep, and you can take the other one back as tax payment. So you got to go collect two treasures and return them to the Dragon's League, and then your opponent selects uh, the treasure the dragon keeps, and then you must return to base camp, which is your starting league. So, Would you call that one of your favorite cards from the set? I mean, do you have favorites? I have favorites. There's some fun things with the quests in uh, in Wild Hunt, especially as you get to the later quests. The quests are all numbered in order, so that there is a logical progression. So each quest leads story-wise into the next quest. And there's some neat stuff in the later quests of uh, Wild Hunt, where you actually go free Lord Gamine from the prison that he was captured in. You find out that the regent is uh, actually not a great guy and was uh, trying to, was the one who actually imprisoned Lord Gamine and was trying to take over and, and was helping out King Ironheart all along. Dunk, dunk, dunk. Yeah, I know. Crazy. The real fun ones, though, are uh, Ironheart's Madness. Some really fun ones in that one where you get to uh, go on quests for. Uh, a character who's never really described called the Dark Yeoman. 
And this dark yeoman is kind of like this oracle seer person. And this person puts you through all these like bizarre vision quests and things to, uh, to get you ready to face King Ironheart. And then there's another one in that one where you, um, there's a giant floating city of the Jinn. And you're trying to get the Jinn to ally with Ardenmore against King Ironheart. But the Jinn don't want any part in the battle. So what you have to do is you have to go and trick King Ironheart's forces into attacking the floating city so that the djinn will then join the fight. Goodness. Reminds me of a bit of a plot from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. <laughs> so. There's a um, lot of that in the air in uh-huh. Changeling, I feel. Yeah. Well, yeah, the one yeah. before book had uh, Dr. Yeah. Julian Bashir. <laughs> but the fun thing with King Ironheart's madness. Uh, and the end of it, you find out that King Ironheart was was nothing more than a puppet. Literally. He was just a puppet. Being controlled by a guy named Aldrich the Mechician. And you don't really ever find out what Aldrich was truly after. Because at the end, you, you kind of... I forget if you kill him or run him off. But, uh, but after you've defeated Aldrich the Mechician, suddenly the darkening takes over everything and freezes all of Middlemarch. Bummer. <laughs> yeah. It turns all of Middlemarch to stone. And the only reason your character is protected is because of the stuff that they did for the Dark Yeoman earlier. And that's where the game ends. So the game ends with the with Arcadia being swallowed up by the Darkening. Bummer. Yep. Fun. <laughs> Presumably the set that was never released might have advanced the story a bit further. But... Probably. So there's, there's, but there's no explanation in here on like I don't know why the she returned and the nope or anything like that. No, nope. yeah. not at all. It's interesting though because you can play a she. You can play a she, but you can also play one of the other kids. Uh huh. You can so. you can play a she, and you can earn favor from the various houses that were yeah. in Changeling the Dreaming at the time. Uh, I know House Liam is represented in here, and uh, I want to say House Fiona is also. I think. Uh, Gamain was a Gwydion. This would have come out before the Shadow Court book. Mm-hmm. Before the Unseelie Houses were a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. There wasn't a Leal before then, but... A thinly described one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So. They're the evil house, that, that's mm-hmm. what they meant. Yes. Well, I have to mention that out of the cards that I have in these two packs, the ones that stand out to me, I did get King Ironheart himself as a card. Nice. So as an enemy. And then one of the arts in this character pack is Portal Passage. And given what you're saying about the structure of the game and the board and the fact that you can end up in these infinite loops, Mm -hmm. this seems like it might be very useful because you can essentially teleport from one league to another. Nice. That would be That helps. (laughs) (laughs) And then one of the waylays I got was Jealous Red Cap, which I would just like to read the text here. So it says... Mm -hmm. Egads, a local redcap has accused his wife of cuckolding with you. The poor redcap is just eaten up inside with jealousy. He's also eaten his wife up to feed his insides, and he and his redcap pals <laughs> intend to make you dessert. Uh-huh. <laughs> There's like a whole story in there, which I appreciate. One of the waylays that I absolutely love, I'm trying to find it real quick, uh, it's the proselytizing velociraptors. <laughs> and the the artwork for that is just so great. It's got these Jurassic Park style velociraptors holding Bibles. <laughs> it's, it's just so funny. Only, only in Changeling. <laughs> uh, it's just so great. <laughs> so you said that you started many years after the game ended. In your experience, is there still fan support? I mean, are people still into the game, even though it's long discontinued? There's not a whole lot. Um, It's one of those things where, you know, people who like obscure old dead things uh, (laughs) tend to gravitate towards it. And hardcore fans of Changeling tend to seek out a pack or two just to say that they have some, I think. That's been mostly my experience with it. But there are some hardcore fans out there of the game still. There is a website devoted to it, and that's really kind of what got me seriously looking into it. Yeah, we will be including it in the show notes. So, But yeah, it has uh, just all sorts of resources for this game. Um, it's got the scan of the full map of Ardenmore. It's got 
notes on a lot of the cards. It's got how to play, various strategies, and things like that for the game. If your only exposure was that one website, you would think it was a healthy living game still. <laughs> mm. Uh, but it's cool. It's got it's got some awesome resources for the game. Surprisingly, no fan cards. That's one of the things that I have been a bit surprised about. There doesn't seem to be a any kind of effort to continue the game by by fans. Whereas, like the old Star Trek CCG, there's the whole continuing committee to keep that going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your Storyteller Vault doesn't cover cards. It does not. No. <laughs> it does. It does for Vampire. You can make your own Vampire cards. Oh, okay. That's right. But that's because, uh, her, who has license for that now? Black it's Chantry. Black Chantry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Black Chantry putting the time and effort mm. to, to set that up and uh, and get all those card frames up there for people to uh, to be able to do that. It's a little unfortunate because it does seem, you know, in this day and age, because so much has gone digital and so much so much gaming happens through Discord or wherever, it seems like the kind of thing which, if it did exist in that format, people would still kind of be into it because mm-hmm. it is it is distinctive and it's in its feel you just probably would need a whole bunch of house rules to get out of those situations like being stuck on a particular league card yeah there would have to be like a group or something to come up with errata for the various cards to to get them so that the game flows a little bit better i volunteer as tribute <laughs> awesome <laughs> i look forward to seeing what you do <laughs> I mean, I should probably actually learn how to play the game first and get the cards together, but, you know. But, yeah, what I think would be neat is uh, if this were to be reimagined as a board game. I think it would work mm-hmm. wonderfully as a board game instead of as a uh, competitive card game. I think <laughs> where it would be better as a, a board game where you and the other players work together to try and solve these quests, and, uh, and then it's you guys mm-hmm. against the board trying to complete quests something a bit more akin to uh, I'm blanking on the name of it it's a Cthulhu Mythos card uh, board game Arkham, um, Arkham Horror oh uh, Arkham yeah. Horror or there was a there was one that came after that but, but yeah I think the Arkham Horror games are the ones that I'm thinking of um, I think that could be a, a fun way to do it with, of the players versus the board yeah it, it has the same sort of feels a bit like playing a role playing game but also yep. not quite yep. yeah that feeds into a question that I wanted to put out to both of you and, and to myself, I suppose. If you were to design or redesign a changeling card game or board game, I suppose, what would you want to see incorporated into it? Not Arcadia specifically, but changeling the dreaming specifically. Mm, that's a good question. I have an idea. <laughs> so, okay, if I, should go I go first? first? Go, go first. Go first. Okay, no, no, you go first. So my my idea is okay. A changeling game. Well, you have to play changelings and not mm. Fae and mm-hmm. Arcadia. And I was thinking a War and Concordia game, mm. where it's still competitive there, where you're different factions, and ideally somehow like bring in glamour and banality and mm-hmm. bedlam as things to worry about, but also like these skirmishes against each other and stuff. So it's like maybe a slightly higher level scale than this game maybe closer to where magic is in terms of the scale of things but i'm not sure exactly i haven't really thought it out in detail but that's sort of my idea hmm. cool but like properly competitive and not like exploration but it's like oh no it's warren concordia and you're you're this seagull house and you're this like group of red caps and you're this whatever. <laughs> yeah the organizing principle of houses actually would work quite well because you have something like legend of the five rings is organized around clans and it's the same yep but you also can get like some commoner yeah 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 and you can you can have alliances between houses so that you can have a deck that goes across Mm -hmm. the boundaries or whatever Mm -hmm. but probably wouldn't want to be able to just like well, I have my shadow court red cap my sealy gwitty right and like i don't think (laughs) that (laughs) you probably shouldn't be able to include those in the same deck or whatever but hmm. i think if it were me i think it'd be fun to revisit arcadia as a as a card or a board game or something but not quite the way arcadia the wild hunt did it where it's you know characters trying to complete quests in uh honestly fairly generic sort of fantasy questing um what i would probably do with it is set it up so that there are different factions in the game, and they're all trying to 
to compete to control Arcadia, and then whatever whatever that faction is, the reason they're trying to control Arcadia is if you have control of Arcadia, then you have control over the heart of humanity and can decide what reality is. So it would be mm. more of a, a fight over over the nature of humanity. So then you can have like, uh, I don't know, a Seelie faction, an Unseelie faction, and then you can also bring in stuff like the Fomorians and other probably even more modern type uh, type dreams. Yeah. All trying to... Uh, in anime. In anime, in anime. yeah. Mm-hmm. Just trying to figure out what uh, a fight over what uh, what reality is. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be a lot of fun. For me, I guess because I always tend to come back to glamour versus banality as the quintessential theme of Changeling, I'd I don't know how you would incorporate that easily into a card game, but that would be something I would see as pretty essential if I were to be working on it. I don't know, maybe one side is the human seeming and the other is the mean or something. <laughs> but I also think in addition to having the sort of organization of the characters across houses or factions or whatever, having that key story concept, whether it's the war on Concordia or the control of Arcadia. Mm -hmm. I think I like the questing aspect and I like the cooperative aspect of, Mm -hmm. you know, in games where that happens. So I would probably want each player to be one character in a motley that are all kind of working together to, you know, kind of like you were saying earlier, cooperating to solve these quests. And it Mm -hmm. would be grounded in the autumn world, but then with the option to go into the dreaming and kind of go between human-centered concerns and fae-centered concerns to get to where you're going. Maybe not actually moving around a map, but just kind of getting your cards in order in order to achieve the next quest. Mm-hmm. Cool. Huh. I, like, I like we all came up with fairly mm-hmm. different ideas. <laughs> <laughs> that all, that all uh-huh. seemed good, actually. Go forth, design. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. As soon as we can start to make those things under the story. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, get a, get a license from Paradox and then we'll, and then I we'll mean, get going. Yeah. <laughs> so as teased earlier, there is a Storyteller's Vault supplement called Kits of Arcadia that Charlie has published in association with Radio Free uh-huh. Arcadia. So Charlie, can you tell us a bit about that book? I would be happy to. So Kits of Arcadia was kind of my experiment with Storyteller's Vault to see if, uh, just to see how things would do on there, because I really had no idea what publishing on Storyteller's Vault would be like. And so I wanted something that would be kind of small and fairly easy to test the waters with. And uh, I was trying to figure out what what I wanted to do with it. And then I was kind of looking at the Arcadia cards and being like, hey, some of these would be really cool as uh, as actual kits and change in the dreaming. So I went through the cards and and figured out what all doesn't appear in any sort of form at all in Changeling the Dreaming. Like, this was after the C20's Player's Guide, so a variation on Jin ended up in the C20 Player's Guide. So I was like, okay, that one's already been published, so I won't bother with that one. But there are things like the Army Ant Platoons that have never been published in Changeling. <laughs> I love those. I love those so much, and I so want to play one. I know. Who, whoever thought that a group of uh, an ants in a human suit could be so much, so much fun? Yeah, because you're a group. That's the important. That's the neat thing. You are a swarm. You are a. You are a whole bunch of oh, things. I mean, I wanted to keep the spirit of the card game or of the of the cards as much as I could. So the army ant platoon, it's literally a group of ants and you're, you're playing that their special ability in the card game is swarm. So they can, you know, overwhelm me with their sheer numbers of ants. Yep. And then the, uh, and then there was also the dragon kin and the imps and the mech orgs and the nagas and the renegade cogs and the tritons. So I, as with the army ant platoons, I was looking into the cards to see, you know, what there was about them in the card game. And honestly, there's not a lot. <laughs> you get uh, you get like a sentence or two on the actual character cards itself. You get their, their special ability, and then you also get a quote. But some of the ability cards and the ally cards and things like that will, will hint a little bit about of things about them. So I tried to incorporate that as much as I could into the card game, or into the into these kith write-ups, 
But of course, you know, the card game is sparse on things, so I had to expand a lot from what was in the card game. <laughs> and certain things were very card game specific, like the Renegade Cogs. In the card game, the Renegade Cogs are... King Ironheart has his Cog army. They're these machines that he's built to do his bidding to, to try and conquer Arcadia. And the Renegade Cogs are those Cogs that become sentient and realize that what they're doing is bad. <laughs> so they, they turn against Ironheart. Obviously, in the world, in Changeling the Dreaming on Earth, there is no King Ironheart. There is no war for Arcadia. There's no Cog army. So I had to sort of reimagine them. What would that be if, I, if it were to be a kit in Changeling the Dreaming? So I kind of made cog a bit more of a generic term. So it was like any creation of a knocker. And what made them renegade cogs is that they, they become self-aware and they become a, something happened in their creation that turned them into a new fairy soul. So they didn't, they're not just, you know, a machine that blindly obeys their master. They, they are their own being yeah. with their own. Uh... Did you take any inspiration from uh, Prometheum that created with those? Not directly. Yeah, Yeah, I've seen some common themes at least. Yeah, Um, it wasn't. If I did, it wasn't consciously. (laughs) But I have read Mm -hmm. Promethean, so it's it's certainly possible that that stuff from it could have been bouncing around in my head while I was writing it, and me not even realize it. So I like that they're in dead cogs for their revelry. It's essentially DIY or life hacks. Yep. (laughs) So yeah, so they were they're they're all inspired by the cards from the card game, but they. I, I also took some liberty with them because because there's so little about them as kits in the card game, and you know they also need to be playable as a player character in a role playing game. So they need to be expanded a little bit, allow for a little bit more creativity and uh, different concepts than just what is directly on the card. And you can get away with that by saying that the card game character cards are true fey. They're what's in Arcadia. And, uh, but what you're playing in Changeling the Dreaming is a changeling, so they have their only part fey, and they have that human soul that, uh, that gives them a bit more freedom beyond their core dream than what, uh, than what they necessarily get in the Arcadia card game. So I have two questions and two clarifying things about uh, the kits as they're presented here, just briefly, if mm-hmm. that's cool. So the Renegade Cogs, the way that I read your, your write-up here, it's almost like they're kind of like mannequins, but specifically they're attached to, I guess, chimerical creations or treasures rather than ordinary objects that mortals have. Would that kind of be a fair assessment? Well, sort of. The way I thought of them is they're like any other changeling they've once they awakened as a new fairy soul, they needed to undergo the changeling way as quickly as possible, right. otherwise they would die. So unlike uh, in anime or the Lycians, they they aren't bound to a machine. They're, they are still mm. bound with a human soul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they their fey main is mechanical. Okay. But their mortal seeming would still be a person. Probably a strangely acting person, but uh, but a person nonetheless. <laughs> Doing the robot dance. Doing the robot, um, yes. <laughs> and then the Tritons, because there there is whatever the house is from the Merfolk and Blood Dint Tides, where they have like the shell forms as their associated um, mm-hmm. sea life. So, what distinguishes the Tritons from those Merfolk? Uh, the Tritons. The big difference between the Tritons and the Merfolk is that the Merfolk tend to be very isolationist in their write-up. They want to be out in the ocean by themselves mm. without much contact with the rest of changeling kind or even humanity. Whereas the Tritons, they don't have as nearly as much of a problem being on shore. They don't, they don't mind humanity as much. They're, they're kind of resentful uh, to humanity for what humans have done to their, mm. to their home <laughs> in the ocean. But at the same time, they, they'll, they'll do what needs to be done. They, they will be monsters on land just as readily as they'll be monsters in the ocean. It, it seems actually, weirdly, even though they're very different kiss, they remind me a lot of the Selkies in terms mm. of that in-between liminal, the sea and the land. Crabbies rather than Selkies. <laughs> I actually thought yeah. that they were a bit more, had a bit more parallel with the, uh, the Morganed 
that was one of the French kiths uh, that got brought over into C20. Mm. And they got written as to, to differentiate them from the merfolk because they were basically merfolk before merfolk got written <laughs> in the uh, in the English supplements. Well, as were the kits in the card game, because that uh, so, so yes, that came out exactly. before Anatomy of the Secret Way or before Blood yeah. and Clements. So quite quite a few years before either of those. Yes, yeah. But yeah, so to differentiate the Morganed from the mer- merfolk, the Morganed's founding dream was to be a bridge between land and sea. Mm. They're the sirens. They call to humanity. They're humanity's wonderment at the sea. So that was their differentiating factor. So yeah, with the Tritons being willing to go back and forth between ocean and land, I can see some parallel there. But always moving sideways. But always moving sideways, yes. Every, everything evolves into crabs eventually, right? <laughs> <laughs> It's true. I have a question about the dragonkin. Mm-hmm. Are they kind of like, were you getting some stuff from like werewolves changing breeds, like with the Macaulay and the Ananasi, <laughs> like pre-humanity stuff going on? It seemed, it seemed... There, there was definitely some pulling from the same sources. I'm actually don't know werewolf all that well. Um, so Okay. <laughs> I know, I, the most of what I know about werewolf has mm-hmm. nothing to do with werewolves. Like it's, I find the the changing some of the changing breeds more interesting, and just sort of read up a bit more on them. But yeah. So where a lot of the backstory of the dragonkin came from, it actually comes from a panel from several years ago at DragonCon of all places. It was uh, a science panel talking uh, that was basically a big thought exercise, which was if uh. dinosaurs achieved human level of technology, how would we prove or disprove it? Because enough time has passed that all the natural processes would have completely Mm -hmm. erased everything that humanity has made now. If humanity died out right now in 65 million years, there would be absolutely no trace of humanity left on Earth. (laughs) I've heard some arguments about humanity Mm -hmm. right now, but certainly humanity two centuries Mm -hmm. ago, there would be zero trace. Yeah. Uh, you're right. There's there are things that would exist in the geological record from us right now. Uh, there's radioactive stuff mostly. Radioactive stuff. There would be a layer of plastic in the geological record um, yeah. that we would leave yeah. behind. But anyway, so that was uh, that that whole thing uh, got me thinking about these guys, and I wanted to to make them a bit more interesting than just you know half dragon, half humans, uh, standard dragonkin that you'd find in fantasy games. So it's like, well, mm-hmm. what if dinosaurs had a civilization and dinosaurs dreamed these would be the yep. the surviving dreams of the dinosaurs? <laughs> so, well, we- werewolf actually mm-hmm. says that that happened, at uh-huh. least according to the one of the groups. The the you're all were reptiles. So okay. <laughs> if they're right, and mm-hmm. it's one of those unreliable narrator narrator world of darkness funness, but uh, yeah. if they're right, then these guys fit with them as. They're long lost kiths, basically long lost kith of theirs. <laughs> the, the the surviving dreams of their civilization. So, so yes. Yeah. And then there's hinted at even older stuff before. Sure. Vertebrates, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the uh, the the connection between these guys and werewolf was not. It's not something I set out to do, but I will happily take it. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of connections to werewolf, there are also two other possible points of connection because with the army ants dissolving into their the army ants also make me think of like um there's that character from rick and morty called one million ants and he's a superhero and that's his thing he's one million ants Uh um so they with their ability to scatter into a bunch of ants it reminds Mm -hmm. me of the ananasi scattering into spiders so i wonder what the relationship is between Mm -hmm. those two and then similarly, another changing breed is you have the Naga, the were snakes, with an H at the end, importantly. Mm-hmm. So what's the relationship between the Naga and the Naga? So the Nagas here, they were the ones who were, that I wrote that I was specifically keeping werewolf in mind as a, these are not the same things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. These, I wanted these to be the, the, the dreams of Naga from uh, all the mythology. These, these are depending on how you look at Changeling the Dreaming, either what produced the mythology or yeah. what, what was produced by the mythology. Yeah, but they're not, they're not assassins. Or but they're, like yeah, that. they're not assassins. They are more of the, the Hindu version of view of what Naga are. 
they are kind of like these these holy beings uh, that have divine purpose and they and they serve the gods mm-hmm. um, and do the gods' will. But yeah, I wanted to I wanted to make them as distinct from the werewolf naga as I possibly could. So yeah, the question of which came first is kind of one of those cobra and the egg questions. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Groovy. Well, I guess. I mean, do we have anything else we want to talk about? Or suffice to say, for anyone who's interested in the card game but not interested in going out and buying several packs of a difficult to find and overpriced defunct CCG, this uh-huh. is a good alternative for incorporating some of the same ideas into a tabletop game. Mm-hmm. And um, I will drop a little hint. It'll be a while before it comes out, but I have just contacted authors yesterday about possibly working on a dreaming source book for that will go for sale on storytellers vault eventually and one of the chapters in it in my outline as it currently exists takes direct inspiration from a certain plot point from arcadia the wild hunt oh nice that's a nice teaser there (laughs) Uh uh-huh uh Unfortunately, it'll be it'll be a while before that comes to fruition. Right. But <laughs> just a, a very early tease. So we shall keep our eyes peeled. Mm-hmm. So where where can people find you online, Charlie? If they want to, if you want them to, I am Puka Knight on Twitter. I am Charlie Cantrell on uh, Facebook. I don't really have my own website, but I am happy to connect with folks via social mm-hmm. media. We have the Radio Free Arcadia page on uh, Facebook as well that folks can follow to, to kind of find out what, uh, what is in the works uh, there uh, as we try and unofficially continue the Changeling the Dreaming 20th anniversary line. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, thanks for being on the show again. Uh, hope we'll be on view another time. Such as when that book drops. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you yeah. for having me. It's always it's always a pleasure to talk Changeling the Dreaming and yep. its uh, short-lived spin-off <laughs> Arcadia. <laughs> so. Yep. so you can find our, our podcast at uh, changelingthepodcast.com. We're on Twitter at ChangelingCast. We're on Facebook as Changeling the Podcast. You can find our Discord from our website, changelingthepodcast.com. There's links there. And uh, also links in the show note, right, Puka? Yes, and we also have a Patreon. Oh, oh we can also. <laughs> Patreon, yes. www.patreon.com slash changelingthepodcast. Yeah, and you can email us at uh, podcast at changelingthepodcast.com. All of this, along with links to Charlie's stuff, will be in the show notes. Once again, uh, I've been Josh, or I am Josh. I'll continue to always be Josh, I believe. <laughs> we are all Josh. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Weird Babylon 5 reference. We could drop that. <laughs> That's awesome. I feel like I want to use the future perfect subjunctive today and say, I might well have been Puka. <laughs> and uh, until next time, uh, make sure to keep, you know, portal passage with you in case you get stuck at a waylight point you just can't get past. Yep. And steer clear of any, I don't know, are renegade cogs dangerous? Maybe steer clear of them anyway. Probably good advice. Here at Changeling the Podcast, we fully support the integration of army and platoons into the feudal structure of Concordia, purely so that we can get nobles like Baron Formicarius and Duke Mandibles, and use without irony the quote, I for one welcome our new insect overlords. If you'd like to help us toil away in the Arcadian sugar caves to keep bringing you Changeling the Dreaming content, please consider signing up for our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash changelingthepodcast. Like our supporters, to whom we'd like to give a shout-out of thanks. Derek, Brascaboos, Sandjigger, Sija, and Terry Robinson. Please also feel free to leave us a review on the podcast listening platform of your choice, or just inflict our podcast on your friends and enemies. In the meantime, please stay tuned, and keep on dreaming.